Today we start a new series for the summer. One of the, the fun things we do as elders is I bring ideas and thoughts and I say, I've been you know, praying about the church. Where do we need to go? What do we do for the summer? Because keeping continuity through the summer is so hard because we're all coming and going. And so one of the joys, we, I brought forth a few ideas. And what's fun is seeing as a group of elders, the ideas grow and explode. And, uh, and so today, uh, we're going to start this series. We all came to an agreement and love this. The idea of God's grand building plan, his architect, his set of plans that define the church. And, and we want to do that by looking at an overview of the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And so what we're doing is taking 10 Sundays just to preview a little bit more than a survey uh, and a little bit more uh, pinpoint uh, accuracy, looking at how did God design the church to be built and to grow. And so a part of that is looking at a set of plans. I don't know about you if you've ever looked at a set of plans, but this was, honest to goodness, this was the truth. I showed up at a construction site And my dad, who was a manager, hands me a set of plans, and he says, build the foundation. And I said, well, how do I do that? Is there somebody going to come and teach me? I I went to school to learn the Bible, to become a pastor. I didn't go to school to learn how to build a foundation. Uh, Little did I know that that summer, God was going to train me in dealing with issues in the church. And it was amazing. I failed all my inspections the first four times. And as it would have it, the inspector taught me how to build a foundation. So through my failures, I learned. And it's funny, but and and some of us struggle with that, but God teaches us through our failures, and he lays it out in Scripture and says, See, this is what I desire for you. So as we go through this series, you're going to hear from the foundation up. What, how did God design the walls of the church? Why do we have windows? Why do we have doors? What, what's the floor plan look like? And we're going to take those pictures of building a church, and we're going to look at those pictures all summer. And, and so if you miss one, uh, you can go back and, and figure out why is the window here and What does this chapter have to do with the building plan in God's architect? So this morning, my outline, I basically stole it from Rob's brain. And uh, as he was flying over Greece, he came up with this outline. And uh, and so I'm going to borrow, I added to it a little bit. And so we're going to fly through this. One of the things is, is I can't tell you how many times, I'd be a rich pastor, by the way, if I, uh, if, I could get paid for every time somebody asked me, Pastor, how is the church going to grow? How do we grow the church? How, how can we make the church grow? Um, and one of the greatest things I think that we've lost today in church is having uh, people and asking the people in the church to actually think. To actually think about church, about God, about Christ, and having to use their brain. I think we've lost that a lot 
in church. And what I mean by that is, is there's a lot of people that come to churches and they just want to be numbed. You know what I'm talking about? Um, it's like, for me, it's like football. My wife figured out why I like to watch football on Sundays. And, and uh, you know, what the reason is, is I go turn the TV on, I sit down in the couch, I have my drink, I have my snacks, I turn on, and it numbs my brain and I pass out and fall asleep. And, uh, you know, I wake up and, and my drink is hot and my snacks are warm, you know, <laughs> yeah, but it numbs me and I pass out. There's a lot of people that think that's what church is all about. I don't need to think. I can just go and enjoy it. And I'm going to numb my life so I don't feel all the stress and the pain and I don't have to deal with anything. But yet, you go out into the world on Monday and it all comes back. And I think one of the the problems is, is we've stopped asking people to think. And... Listen to this. I was looking up, and it's like one of the, uh, the problems in the church, and one of the questions that people ask, and one of the things is one of the millennials, the 30-somethings, or the, you know, the 20 to 30-somethings, they said, why should I even go to church? And they said this, and they said, one of the reasons why I don't, they asked that question is the, on this blog, they said, nobody even listens to us. And they asked this question, why should I care about an institution that I cannot shape. Now, I want you to think about that. We have a lot of people that are leaving church or that won't join church, or that, and the reality is, is they don't know who God is. And they're asking this question, why should I care about an institution? Now, think about it. They're calling the church an institution. What does God call it? A body of believers. And he says, an institution that I can not shape. And that's the reality is, is there's a lot of people that think that they have the right to shape the church. And if you remember, we talked about this, that God, God is the one that shapes the church. He is the one that has defined what the blueprint is. And it starts with a good foundation. And so we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick off where Rob left off in verse 37. So let's pray as we read it and then run through our points. Lord, I thank you so much for the foundation that you gave us. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll touch our hearts and connect our hearts to our mind. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the comforter who leads us to all the truth, to understand what Christ has truly done for us and is doing for us continually until he returns. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given up on us, even though we fail at being a part of following the plans. Many times we fail at following the blueprint that you've laid out for us. But this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us encouragement to say, oh, that's what we need to do. And may our hearts be attached to what we think so we can think correctly and worship the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we thank you that you are our Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that you would build up an understanding of what you would desire to see the foundation of the church to be like. And thank you for our time. Bless the reading of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 37, Peter 
continues and it tells us how did all of the people respond to his sermon. Listen to what it says. After they said, by the way, in verse 36, it says, it's like Peter says, oh, by the way, this Jesus whom you crucified, the one that God said would come, the Messiah, that would be the Savior of the world, the one that Joel told them, uh, all of these things would accompany the Christ, the Messiah, the one that David said would be Lord. Not only that he, was he wasn't going to be just Jesus, but he's the Lord. And look at what he says in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And he said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? One of the greatest questions ever. In response to the gospel, in response to what Jesus did for them, who Jesus was, they asked this question. This is foundational. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all of uh, who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to them. So whoever God calls, he says, this gift is for them. God is calling people to come to him, to receive this gift. And he says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it says, verse 40, it says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So he says, hey, save yourselves from hell. Save yourselves from your sin. Save yourselves from everything that's going on. Run to God. Run to Christ. Is basically what they were talking about. And so those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and it was uh, one of the holidays in the Jewish calendar. In fact, Pentecost was focused on two breads, by the way, and bread that had leaven. Do you know it was the only feast that contained leaven bread? In fact, this was supposed to be a picture of God uniting both the Jews and the Gentiles to show that he was the savior of all sinful people. And it was an amazing picture. And, and Peter is preaching at this. And there's a reason why the Holy Spirit came at this point. Was to fulfill the prophecy of Joel. And to, to talk about what, what David was talking about as, as Rob had read that text before us. And it's amazing because these loaves were baked with leaven. It was something foreign to the Jewish people during feasts and festivals. Uh, all the the Passovers and all the other uh, things that they were doing. But this was planned long beforehand that the Holy Spirit would come at this time to begin the foundation of the church. And so we want to look at, and so here is all of, all of the text here. Here's everything broken down for you. We see God's foundational plans for his church is built in the right message that it's built in the right question, it's built in the right answers, and it's built in the right results. This is God's foundation that we see here. Well, let's, let's explain that. The right message is this. 
The right message is, is that it describes Christ, his deity, and all of his actions. Did you notice in this text that Peter describes uh, all about who Christ is? That not only is he, was he man, but he was 100% God. So if there's anybody that's preaching that Christ is not God, you need to run. You need to understand, that's false teaching. He is God. And he's, and he's preaching this, and he's saying, look, this, this man who you crucified wasn't just a man, he was God. And he came, and that's why death could not contain him. Because he was the righteous one, he was the holy one. And so this is... Uh, the foundation of the church is built on the right message. Without the right message, there isn't a good foundation. And the right message always describes Christ. The second thing is it is powered by the Holy Spirit. You remember Acts 1.8? If you turn back, if you look back, and this foundation is built on the right message that is powered not by a pastor. It's not powered by a good speaker. It's not powered by somebody who can manipulate. It's powered by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it describes that. You shall receive power to be what? To become my witnesses. By the way, he wasn't just talking to the apostles. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the fulfillment of Matthew uh, 28, about going out and making disciples. We have to have the right message. The right message has to describe Christ, and the right message has to be powered by the Holy Spirit that points to Christ. The right message always has to point to Christ. In Mark chapter 1, Christ himself is preaching. He says, now after John was arrested, in verse 14, he says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the good news. And he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And that's what Peter is saying here in, in Acts chapter 2. Repent and believe and be baptized. Peter is telling the crowd that this, you know, he's like, the disciples are not drunk. He's like, hey, all of this is fulfillment of the prophecy and it points to Christ. So the message, the right message is one that describes Christ that is powered by the Holy Spirit that always points to Christ. Did you, by the way, you know what? That is the chief goal of the Holy Spirit, is always to point to Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes and when you're saved and he, he indwells you and he comes into your life and he dwells and he gives you gifts, by the way, it is to point to Christ. The gift that he gives you is to point to Christ. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. By the way, once you receive the Holy Spirit, when you're saved, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. You don't lose Him. You may grieve Him. You may ignore Him. But He's still there. The power for, to be foundational in the church, the message, the right message is there. And it should point to Christ. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you. And he'll be with, he'll be in you. John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. 
That's the Holy Spirit. He's going to help us remember. See, the Holy Spirit has to power the message because He is the one that's going to help you. People come to you, Pastor, how can you keep quoting scriptures when you're counseling or when he comes to And Kaylee, when she's down in Bible college, she says one of the hardest things when I'm going through my counseling classes is they're making us memorize all these verses. It says if you're going to counsel people and encourage them with God's word, you have got to know it. And, and I keep telling them, they're like, Pastor, how do you do that? And I said, when I'm listening to people's problems or where I'm talking to them about stuff, the message always comes by the Holy Spirit to point people back to Christ. I don't go into a counseling session and say, okay, I'm going to quote this verse, this verse, this. I don't pre-plan all the verses. They come to me. Why? Because through the power of the Holy Spirit... I respond to what people are telling me. And that's the thing. The message is foundational because it is powered by the Holy Spirit to point to Christ. John 15, he goes on to say, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's whole job is to glorify Christ. So this is so important, the right message one of the reasons the churches don't grow the way that God designed them is because we've gotten away from this message that we are describing and, and teaching people who God is, who Christ is. We're not allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to empower the gospel to point everybody to Christ. We don't unleash that part of the foundation. The second thing is, is there's, because we don't have the right message, the church doesn't grow. Because we don't have, and we don't have the right question. Do you notice their question, by the way? What shall we do? What shall we do? Isn't that just like most men? They come up to a problem and say, well, what do we do about it? Let's fix it, right? But did you know it? Did you notice they asked, what shall we do was based on being cut to the heart. They were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, convicted them. Cut to the heart means they were pierced. It's describing what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, many of you remember this. It says, For the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of your heart. The Holy Spirit cuts into the heart. The foundation of the church is built upon this question, that they were convicted when we're convicted, it's not a bad thing. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to div- cut down into the heart and take out which that doesn't belong in the church. We need to be convicted. Also, it says that uh, the right answer. Did you notice what Peter answered to the question was? What shall we do? We're convicted. We realize that Jesus is the Messiah. We understand the message. We understand the the gospel. What do we do? And they said, Peter goes, repent. Right? Repent and believe. 
the right answer. This is the foundation of the church is built upon this answer. They were challenged. They were challenged to repent. By the way, repenting involves your mind. Remember what I said about we're not allowing people to think in the church. Repentance means the changing of your mind. It literally is to think this way about your life and to come face to face with the Savior and realize I need Christ and I'm no longer walking this way for myself. I have a change of heart. I have a change of mind. I've repented and I say my life no longer is worth anything but everything is about Christ. That's repentance. Repentance, by the way, is to deal with our sinful pride. When God says you must repent and believe, it's no longer about my life, but it is about Christ's life. It's dealing with our pride. We are not worth worshiping. Right? We should be a living sacrifice to God. Romans chapter 12. By the way, in this text, baptism is dealing with our inward heart uh, and our heartfelt obedience to say inwardly, I need to obey my Savior. And so I'm going to be baptized to show that I have an inward change just as much as I'm saying it vocally from the outside. Repentance, and that's what, by the way, when we do our baptism study we're going to go in that today for all those that want to be baptized we'll talk about what is baptism peter was saying if you are serious about receiving remission of your sins you should prove it by standing before everyone and be baptized that gets us to the fourth thing and that is the right results they were counted among the believers not only were they counted verse 41 did you notice In verse 41, it says that they were added to the church. They were saved. They made a a commitment publicly. They confessed the Lord. They were baptized to show what the inward commitment of their life was. Baptism didn't save them. They received forgiveness of their sins because of what Christ did on the cross. They were baptized, and they were then added to the church. Added is, by the way... As a term of addition. There was math being, right? So that means that they, there was a known number, okay? So that there was a known entity. There's another reason for, a, this is dealing with membership. They were added, they were counted among the believers. They were saying, I identify with that group, and that group knew that they identified with that group. That's what it means to be counted among the believers or to be added to them. Verse 42, it says they were committed to the local church. They were committed to one another. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread in prayer. See what they were committed to? They were committed to teaching. They were committed to fellowship. And they were committed to eating together. They were good Baptists. (laughs) So. It's the only thing I like about uh, the word Baptist. It's synonymous with food. And uh, I'm trying to make it barbecue also. So food and barbecue. So, <laughs> so if you haven't figured it out yet, I like barbecue. So uh, those that, it seemed like we barbecued all week last week. It was great. So we fellowshiped a lot. So they were committed to each other. They were added and they knew who they were. They knew who was committed 
And they didn't just come and go and do their own thing. They were together. And that's so important. To be together. How are we supposed to love one another if we're not committed to each other? How are we supposed to help one another if we're not committed to each other? How are we supposed to help each other dealing with sinful things if we're not committed to each other? It's much easier for me to deal with sin in my life when a brother who's been fellowshipping with me comes and puts his arm around me and says, Brother, I see you're struggling. Can we help you? It's much easier when you're fellowshipping with people to deal with that. Otherwise, it's like, you don't know who, I'm, who I am. You can't deal with my sin. I'm not sinning. And you become combative. There's a commitment to one another. They're also concerned for one another. When, when you're committed, by the way, do you see this? When you're added to a group, you become committed. And when you're committed to a group, you become concerned. When I'm, when the more I fellowship with you and, the more, and then I don't see you, I begin to be concerned. Where are you? What's going on? How are you doing? Are you hurt? Are you sick? Are you struggling? Do you have a question? Uh, is there something that you don't like that we can discuss? It, and all of a sudden it's like, why aren't you committed? Where are you? Why aren't you here? In verse 44 through 46, they, and they all, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions. They were starting to take care of one another. They were so committed that they began to take care of one another. That's why we take the benevolent offering. There are different times in the church that people, there's accidents, there's struggles, there's things that happen. And they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the church can say, oh, well, we have this fun. We can help take care of you. They are concerned for one another. So concerned that they sold things and they took care of one another. Let me ask you this. Why did they need to be concerned? 3,000 people were added to the church. Where were those 3,000 people from? All over the place. Most of them didn't even live in Jerusalem. And now they stayed. Talk about being added to the church. They came, they got saved, they stayed. And eventually some of them left and went on to become missionaries. But think about that. How would you like to go visit Greece... And then all of a sudden, well, you're already saved, but you go to Greece and you get saved and now you're going to stay there and be part of the church there. What do you have? Very minimal stuff, right? You have very minimal things. And so they were concerned for one another. And through all of that, they were compelled to praise God. Look at this. Do You see this? The right results, the right message, and a res- the right response with the right question, what, Lord, what do I need to do? And the right answer to, re- to repent and to believe in Christ, to put all your faith, and that's why we took communion this morning, is to get our right focus. So that way you have the right results. That we have people added to the church, so that way they're committed to the church, so that way they're concerned for the body, so that way they're compelled to worship God. We should be compelled to praise God. We're here this morning, so not so then that way we're compelled to be obedient religious followers of a church. We're compelled to be here. We should be compelled to be here to praise God. This is the foundation of the church 
as it began in Acts. I don't know about you, but this is a great description for us to begin to think and ask good questions. Lord, what should I do? If you've never received Christ and you never called upon the name of the Christ to save you from your sins, that's a great response. Repent, turn from yourself and say, Lord, here am I, save me. Respond to his call. Repent and believe in the one who can take away your sins. For the rest of us, we can ask the same questions. What do I need to do? How can I do this? How can I be committed and concerned, compelled to praise God? Do you notice the foundation of the church is built on Christ? It's built on Christ. The message is built on Christ. It's powered by the Holy Spirit to point us back to Christ. A message about Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit to point back to Christ. It's all about Christ. When we make church all about Christ, this is easy. We are compelled. We're not just, oh, maybe I'll go worship Christ. Or, oh, that's a good thing. No, it's like, I have to worship Christ. But we have to start with the right message. Even as believers, we need to keep building on that foundation. We cannot leave that foundation. You cannot add on to the church and say, well, I'm going to add an addition to the church and build a different foundation. It doesn't work. The foundation has to be the same. It has to be about Christ.